We're back, episode four. Hi, Hi. <laughs> we're back for another one. <laughs> we are. We're we here. are. How are you? I'm okay. I'm good. It's been a long week. I'm glad it's over. But you know, yeah, I know. We move on. Everything's good. How's work? How's life? Um, yeah. <laughs> no, life is good. Work is busy, but life is good. Although it's a little bit sad because it's rainy now. I was going to say. But it was, it was, you know, had a bit of sunshine yesterday, so that was nice. Yeah. How about you? No, it's good. Work is very busy. Work is ramping up, even though everyone's on holiday. Everyone seems to be on holiday, but work, is, for me, has just got busy. Yeah, apart. Just, I just don't get it. Yeah, same. There's no logic to that at all. I'm like, and I'm looking at the schedule. I'm like, when am I going to take a holiday? Oh, I have no holiday booked. This is so sad. Yeah, but like I'm, I'm like I don't even know when I'm going to have time to book two weeks off or a week off. That's what I'm looking at. I'm looking, being like, I've got this output by then. I've got this by then. So like, I don't even know when I'm going to have time, no. which is really depressing. Really depressing. It's going to be hard. Yeah, it's going to be hard. Long summer. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway, enough of us moaning. Enough of us moaning about work. <laughs> So this episode is going to be a bit different to previous episodes. Um, we are doing an interview. We're going to interview our friend, Amy, and our colleague. She works with us. She's in our women's network. Um, and this is something we've discussed um, with her personally, as it was part of her dissertation, um, subject matter. Uh, but we're going to be covering the issue of domestic abuse in the UK uh, with a bit of a deep dive into financial and economic abuse, which Amy is going to very helpfully define for us um, when we crack the interview off. Okay, and so as we said, we are joined today by Amy. So let's just get straight into things. Amy, thank you so much for coming today and joining our little podcast. How are you? Thank you for having me. Yeah, good, thank good. you. Welcome. Um, not nervous. Nervous, are you? <laughs> I say, well, we look oh, nice. shouldn't be. No, don't be nervous. This is a good podcast. <laughs> too, kind, love too kind, too <laughs> kind. Fangirling, love it. Okay, so <laughs> I suppose first things to do, um, obviously here today to talk about financial abuse and like kind of what this means um, and in the wider concept of domestic abuse. So it'd be good to kind of start with a little bit about who you are, what you do, where you're from, very still black. And just a little <laughs> intro, really. That's actually exactly what I was thinking when you first asked me to introduce myself. I was like, oh, I'm Amy. Oh, what's your name? Where'd you come I'm from? from? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, those are the main information about me. Um, so, I work in policy, specifically on Brexit mm-hmm. in London. That is not fun. Um, and I suppose it's <laughs> not fun, no. And so, therefore, I take an interest in domestic abuse in my spare time you know just to like <laughs> um, but no so I, I basically I studied politics at Loughborough a few years ago and um, based my dissertation on uh, the universal tax credit system and its impact on economic abuse within relationships which I guess is why you guys have asked me to come mm-hmm. on absolutely and yeah. um, so you have a little natter about yeah. it because it's five years on since I first into the subject so a few things have changed yeah. so it'd be good to hear just a little bit about um what you did your dissertation on like kind of the definition there um and then I suppose why you decided to do yeah. that yeah yeah I think that's a good starting point essentially if we define domestic abuse initially um so 
Women's Aid defines it as an incident or pattern of incidents of controlling, coercive, threatening, degrading and violent behaviour. And so this includes sexual violence in the majority of cases by a partner or ex-partner, but also a family member or carer. Um, I actually had a conversation with someone the other day who included friends and housemates. Oh, interesting. In that, which Never thought was that. quite an interesting one. Yeah, me neither. Um, but it is something that's actually been going on, um, especially in lockdown. Um, so, yeah, essentially there's a lot of different categories within mm-hmm. that. Um, it expands out to coercive control, psychological and emotional abuse, physical, financial and economic, which is, again, what I'll specialise in, um, harassment and stalking and online and digital abuse. Um, and actually, financial and economic abuse hasn't always been included in the definition. Mm. So I think later on, we're going to go on to talk about the domestic abuse bill. It's quite important that it's been included within that. Um, but again, just to go into more mm. definitions, it's quite important to get them at the start of the conversation. Um, so economic abuse is actually different to financial abuse and, and the importance of that will come out a bit later. Um, but finan- I'm sorry, economic abuse is behaviour that restricts how someone acquires, uses and maintains money, um, as well as economic resources such as accommodation, food and clothing. Mm. Whereas financial abuse actually doesn't include that add-on at the end of the economic resources. So it's just financial resources specifically. Mm. So, yeah, there's been a, a lot of kind of conversations about this and we're, we're starting to see the definition of the economic abuse be involved in and things like the uh, economic abuse, the domestic violence bill yeah. rather, sorry. Uh, so, yeah, but I can come on to that a little bit later. Um, but my dissertation specifically looked into... Um, the formation of the universal tax credit system and its ability essentially to enable financial abuse within relationships. So the setup of the system is so that if you are a couple claiming universal tax credits, um, universal tax credits, you have to claim them as a single unit, as a household. Mm. So whereas before each individual would have been able to claim different types of benefits themselves every payment will go to one person you have to nominate that person and the risk there is that if you're in an abusive relationship already the chances are that that abuser is going to control the money and without money you have no way of leaving a relationship like that and the issue has been raised by um, organizations like surviving economic abuse uk over the last few years um the response from the government has been that it helps couples clearly see how they can organise their Mm. money and that income is usually brought in as a household and and organised as a household within couples um, and also usually taken into a joint account. Uh, Research by Surviving Economic Abuse UK um, actually disputes that. Um, But yeah, they've also... Sorry, where am I going with this? (laughs) Yeah, so essentially my dissertation looked into that and the prevalence of it, and I essentially concluded... I took an argument along the same lines as the argument for universal basic income in that actually everyone should have the basic human right to access independent income, so independent access to money, Um, and that actually universal credit system was violating that right 
Um, so they needed to automatically split the payments between couples. Yeah. At the moment, if you're... So they have... The UK government has got a number of exemptions in place so that you can request to have a split payment. But... So domestic abuse is one of those. But if you're a victim of domestic abuse, you're not going to request mm -hmm. that split payment because of the consequences of your from your abuser afterwards. Yeah, because then it'll so be obvious, I suppose, won't it? Because it's been affecting really, the universal really credit. So you can tell you've done it. Where if it, the default is, it yeah. always goes to separate people. You don't need to do that. It's not the onus exactly. on the individual. So actually, mm. the onus shouldn't be on the victim. And also, even if by some chance the other forms of abuse don't increase afterwards the perpetrator will most likely just get back control again by demanding the money straight from the victim so it doesn't really work there and yeah there have been some stats that the very very limited numbers of people across all all nations have requested the split payment and actually the uk government are using that as an excuse not to automatically split the payments because oh, it's right. it's expensive and costly the it system isn't set up to support it which actually is a political decision mm. the structure of your it mm. system and um, so yeah it, it's a bit of a chicken and egg argument yeah that's really interesting because it reminds me of um a little bit in the last episode where we did where we were kind of looking at data gaps which this is a clear data mm. gap, but also how <laughs> there was unintended consequences with um, auto-enrolment of pensions and how actually yeah. because most uh, more part-time workers are women, that then has a, an impact on them. So this is one of those situations, isn't it? They probably, when the, the system was designed, they probably didn't think, oh, this is actually going to have an impact on abuse victims. But or maybe yeah, they did. I don't know. Maybe it came up. That's an interesting point, actually. So the design of the system is really important because uh, they've designed it. As, and there's a number of policies that the UK government has, has put out over the last few years um, where they've designed them in a, a gender neutral way, yeah. which they say means that it shouldn't discriminate. But in effect, it is discriminating just because of the gender norms within society. Mm. Um, yeah, it's... It, it just it's a flawed concept to be honest yeah. um, and and the whole system essentially is designed against the breadwinner model of a family where you've got one person bringing in the income and actually that was scrapped in the benefit system in the 80s as women have got more rights mm. um, you know to apply for credit loans mortgages be an individual in terms of tax they got rid of this at the same time for some reason the conservatives have brought it back in under universal credit it, it's just a bit peculiar, but it, it's massively flawed. Yeah, it's really interesting. So um, I suppose my question is, how did you get hmm. into this topic? Because it's, yeah. because I suppose if you say to somebody, I'm doing a politics degree, that might then seem a bit abstract, mm. even though there is the policy element. It, yeah. Yeah, actually, and I, I, got, I got pushback from my um, dissertation advisor at the time that it was oh, more really? of a sociology topic. Oh, interesting. Um, still got a first. Well done. <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. Um, no, he was lovely, but I do remember him saying that. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Panic, because I've planned um, everything to do with that. <laughs> Still going to write Yeah, though. I sent like over a year planning as well, because I did a sandwich year where I could think about it in between. Um, but yeah, so uh, I'd say, obviously, studied politics, but this particular issue um, is more of a personal issue for me um, in terms of having experienced economic abuse. And so I grew up with, well, essentially my parents separated when I was a baby 
Mum then met a man and spent 13 years with him. And we, we fluctuated between periods of being fairly well off and living quite a middle class life to then having notices of repossession put on our house multiple times and eventually actually losing a house. And uh, we, we left a few times and always went back uh, because he, yeah, he was very clever. So there are lots of, I didn't really go into it in the definitions of economic abuse, but lots of ways that abusers control people's money. So some of the ways we experienced was ramping up debt in my mum's name, um, actually multiple people's names, wow. but anyway, mm. um, ramping up debt in her name, yeah, not paying bills, intercepting post is a massive one. That, um, is that things like bills, perhaps, yeah, bills, statement. Yeah, bills especially. Um, actually bumped into my old postman <laughs> last year, and I, I had no idea I was a child. Actually, I knew about the house repossessions and the money issues um, probably more than I should have done as a child, but... This one I didn't know. So my stepdad would actually come and find him and, and force him to give him the post. And the postman knew what he was doing. So often, if anything, looked like a bill would hold it back and give it to my mum. My stepdad would find out and actually chase the postman down and threaten him afterwards. So it just like so many forms of abusive behaviour going on there. Um, and yeah, again, it comes along with other forms of behaviour. So there was violence when I was really young um, so yeah, vivid memory of being on holiday as a four-year-old, waking up in the middle of the night to shouting and, and coming out and finding my mum up against a wall. Um, but like a lot of people, I think we, we kind of laughed it off. We chucked him out, made him sleep on a sunbed and he'd had the wrong alcohol and all of that. And, and from then on, it was less physical mm. violence. And actually the most common form of violence that comes along with economic abuse is psychological. So that mm. was the biggest thing. So, I mean, he was having affairs left, right and centre. So he'd accuse mum of having an affair and call her a bully and just like was really quite aggressive in arguments. So a a lot of the kind of mental control that went along with that, trying to stop her working more hours. And when she was succeeding, so she she set up a really successful athletics club and was winning awards. That's when he, you know, said that she wasn't paying him enough attention, accused her of having affairs with the coaches in the club. So, so many insidious things come along with it's it's never just one yeah. thing I think it's a really important thing yeah. to remember but that yeah that's why I've been interested in it as I've grown up I've realized what was going on I never really knew yeah that that's what it was I just thought he was a horrible man and then as you learn about all of these things you can kind of add it all up and um yeah interest in politics feminism kind of all, all accumulated into this dissertation but I just came across the issue I read the news one day and it, it popped up in 2015 I think it might have been quite an early instance of them actually covering it because um, I know surviving economic abuse has only been around for a couple of years so it was really as it it, it caught traction um, that I kind of gained an interest in this personally it's, so yeah that's part of yeah. my story as quickly <laughs> as I can kind of summarize 13 years of weirdness so as you would so first off thank you for sharing that yeah um, because it's not easy but I think as as you were talking it made me think about my own mom and actually Mm. so she was a very kind of similar situation my parents broke up when I was like six she then quite quickly after got into a very abusive relationship and she stayed with that guy until I was about 16 and again lots of violence lots of awful things at the time because she would fight back. I didn't think of it as domestic abuse because often 
when I was little, you hear about these things, I thought of it very much as like a man against a woman, which isn't the case, you know, domestic abuse can be the same sex. Uh, relationships you can have with non-binary people you can have it with mm. um you know against a uh, woman against a man but sorry so yeah. what, what I was saying is as you were talking I was then thinking about things that happened and I suppose she definitely probably went through elements of financial abuse because he got her into debt and yep. he was also an alcoholic so he would he had a good job but he would leave work early and come home early and she would end up have to work more hours but he would take the money I've never really thought about because he would then almost because he would have to change jobs a lot because he eventually would get fired from these jobs then she had more money but that was like a power that she had and he would like take it yeah but I'd never so this really resonates with actually part of my story that I probably left out is that um so my stepdad was exactly the same he he'd flip between jobs he'd always say that he resigned he'd obviously been made redundant or or fired rather um so yeah there are points where mum was earning more um but but it's it's that ramping up debts and actually that so whilst your mum and my mum they were working they actually didn't have much disposable money so and actually probably what I left out we did leave we left I remember two times um but we left, especially definitely one time to go and live with my grandparents and ended up going back because the situation there was difficult in itself. So my mum doesn't have a relationship with her dad now anyway. And that was kind of the start of the breakdown. Um, so without money to live on her own, so not needing parental support and not having the support of people around you to help you not go back is incredibly important. So actually the way we managed to leave the final time was that mum's workplace found out so offered like financial support and actually friends so we had to have friends come with a van and help us move out and then when we found somewhere to live we I remember women from the village who hadn't spoken to us since primary school like uh, my stepdad was dodgy people didn't Mm. want to really be involved I think is what I've decided now but they were bringing vases which was lovely not very useful but like cutlery plates everything Mm. because we had we didn't have very much Especially when we, one of our houses, we lost, we lost all of our belongings in that house. Yeah. So yeah, it's, um, and, and it's that social isolation as well. So you, I've mentioned the kind of friends that we had had back in primary school. So we left when I was 15, 16, coming back into the fourth, Frey, fourth, one of them. Um, he had isolated mum's friends mm. too, which kept her dependent on him. So yeah, and it's a personal story, but it, I think it, it probably elements of it relate to so many people's experiences and you wouldn't even realize because and I think that's the importance we'll come on to it again later but of economic abuse being included in the domestic abuse bill because people don't realize that it's a form of abuse you know finances are very private they're usually shared within a family unit mm. so I, I really do I think it's going to be one of those moments like in 94 where they made marital rape illegal because before it's like well you signed up to this you yeah yeah this is a private thing that happens within families it's this is a private thing that happens within households that yeah you're assumed to sign up to having shared income because the women didn't always have independent income but now we have more independent income we need to protect our rights Mm. more so yeah and people need to know when it's happening to them or others. Yeah, I think that's yeah. it's 
more common than people think because you're talking and in your story it's your story it's very different but there are lots of similarities that I'm seeing in yeah. myself and actually it shows that it's it needs to be spoken about more because actually when you talk about these things you then clock on to things that actually oh that happened in my life or I've witnessed that happen to my <laughs> parent or someone close to me and actually that's not okay yeah yeah exactly it's yeah it's really important I think to talk about it as well so I've always spoken about it and I mean I my usual way of talking is just making fun of stuff mm. making light of things but I think it's important and and actually it happened so long ago it's obviously going to have impacted me but it sometimes just feel like telling someone else's story a bit um but I mean it, it's impacted me in, in in good ways people are always surprised but it, it's just made me more determined to be financially independent yeah. so yeah that's good have a good job <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. good and actually I think you you've segued quite nicely I think because you've mentioned the domestic abuse bill like in and amongst mm-hmm. there I think that in some cases people especially if they're at their last resource or at their last moment they look to the law hopefully to help them and to make sure the government yeah. has their back so to speak and that there's something there that they can kind of trust upon that will help them in these circumstances like I said if they're often at the end of their tether um and I think just to kind of give a bit of background to the 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 bill then I'd love to get your opinion on what you think of it in its kind of second stance and what's included and we've mentioned kind of economic and financial abuse um there's obviously lots of other types of abuse like you've said and and I'd just be intrigued to get your kind of position on what you think about the bill generally um, what's excluded mm-hmm. as well because that's a really important dis- discussion to have around migrant workers work well migrants in the UK and and generally speaking but the bill it's in and of itself kind of as um as an overarching background I guess the point of it from the government's kind of point of view is to raise awareness and understanding about the the impact of domestic violence on victims and their families um they've they kind of put the bill out the, the bill out there to improve um the effectiveness of the justice system in and of itself uh, by providing protection mm. for victims for of domestic abuse and bringing perpetrators to justice. And then finally, they say the purpose is to strengthen the support for victims of the abuse by statutory agencies. And what I found quite interesting is that the bill itself has statutory and non-statutory aspects to it. There's stuff that's the, the legal stuff. And what's interesting, I think, you know, the bill includes an appointment of a domestic abuse commissioner, which I thought was quite important, quite interesting yeah. to have that kind of uh, body or that kind of seniority and hierarchy there um, and then banning of the rough sex defense as well that's something that's statutory which is really important and that's come out in the media recently as well there's lots of stories around that I think a few celebrities have spoken on it and then yeah. some of the non-statutory stuff which is still really good I think it should be statutory but I guess we can definitely talk about this things like um, developing national guidance for police um, on serial and repeat perpetrators um, continuing to develop means to collect, report and track domestic abuse data, all this stuff that we've actually touched on in other episodes of the podcast. Um, then That's non-statutory. I, again, I think it should be the legal requirement. It's not, but I thought that was quite interesting. Um, and then obviously the fact that the bill itself was um, introduced back in July 2019, I think it was, and then it had its second reading, but it never got through due to the dissolution of Parliament because our parliamentary mm. process is so effective um, <laughs> or ineffective, some might say. Yeah, because this was this was May's like this is what she's trying to define her legacy by still, isn't yeah. she? This was her like yeah. yes, golden still. piece. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's kind of it's a shame, I guess, for her and the fact that it it just with the dis- dissolution of parliament, it went with that, and then it's come back for in in a second time, which is good. It's come back with a number of changes, uh, which we know about and we'll we'll definitely get into. Um, but just gen- kind of generally, then, Amy, like you know, we've we've mentioned financial abuse, and that's part of the bill. What do you think yeah. of the bill? Do you think it's it, in and of itself, just at, at quite a high level, do you think it's going to be effective? Uh, at a at a high level, it will be effective. Um, I mean, it, you mentioned the kind of statutory and non-statutory, but actually a lot of the statutory elements, I think it's the first time that a lot of these things have been put into law. Um, so in and of itself, and, and like you say, that the raising awareness and, and getting a lot of, um, especially awareness within institutions, I think is really mm. important. And there's a big drive within, within organisations to get awareness within banks specifically mm, to course, help with yeah. financial abuse. Um, so I suppose always I'm kind of li- looking at it um, from that end. So less of a high level delving into it a little bit. Um, actually, I think I, I briefly mentioned earlier the real importance of this in for the first time bringing economic abuse specifically into it. So previously you had something called the Ser- Serious Crime Act in 2015, which did actually include, and, and that was one of the first kind of statutory instruments that you had for domestic abuse. Um, but it, it had financial abuse within there, but it had no definition of it. And again, like I said before, like financial abuse isn't, isn't broad enough definition. Um, so this one bringing in economic abuse is seriously important. Um, and like you said, there are a few amendments that were made. So a couple of MPs did actually try and te- get economic abuse taken out of the definition. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't fathom or work out why. Um, so yeah, they tried to get it taken out. They also tried to amend it to change it from being maintaining and acquiring yeah. money. And so okay. like controlling that to just being um, acquiring one's own money so that it couldn't be someone else's which I think yeah the conversation before it's massively flawed if you've got women who don't have access to their own Mm -hmm. income um so yeah I mean luckily that didn't make it into the final final bill but it's it's an interesting thing to be aware of that actually these kind of differing opinions were, were coming out throughout um but yeah I mean this bill doesn't recognize economic abuse as a in the legal act in and of itself mm. so that has to come through other forms of coercive behavior like criminal damage and um, so that that's what the serious crime act is for and um, so that that's a bit of an odd one for me mm. as well and again like i'm not an expert in this but i don't i don't quite understand yeah. why that's yeah. that's complicated um, for victims as well isn't it or for example if you're a family member like or a, somebody close to somebody's in this situation you're researching things to help having yeah, the, that's yeah, quite confusing then, honestly, it's not it's it's so complex because you then get into the issue whereby so so the the domestic abuse bill has been really good. So another amendment that they've made is actually a statutory amendment is that children are now recognised as victims yeah. of domestic abuse. And also they've changed the definition of oh gosh, how do they say it? It's um like connected persons. So and and this is a kind of an issue that you get into with um where where do you go to for for your kind of legal advice? Again, I don't know if maybe this is a wrong interpretation, but in the Serious Crime Act 2015, um, it, the abuse can only be perpetrated by a connected person, so family member, partner. Um, and then you've got the issue there where post-separation, 
actually the bill doesn't protect you because they're no longer a connected person. Mm. So I, I think I think the domestic abuse bill is trying to to fix that, but I, I'm not. I don't think it has fully, and um, because there's definitely there are campaigns going on still to try and get abuse post separation to be recognised legally. Yeah. So yeah, the, I think that could is probably still a gap. I just realised I've kind of flip-flopped on that but it's quite an important important, yeah and that's the thing that's sometimes the issue with pieces of legislation isn't it they're not necessarily all encapsulating and it's whether you have a situation where those things can be added to and often you have a situation that legislation is left static for ages um and actually we need to use these as instruments to keep building upon as more things come to light Mm. um and that's kind of a a mindset change that needs to happen with the, the like the parliamentary system yeah exactly and actually, sorry, thinking about it, a, a massive gap in the bill, because um, you say it's kind of raising awareness, et cetera, and it is, it is taking some really good steps forward. But actually, the bill itself in isolation isn't going to be mm. enough to fix the issue. So mm. they need to fix the issues and the rest of government legislation and policy making. So, sure, you can, you can pass this bill and you've got extra protections for women, but the same issues apply to women in the universal credit system that I explained before that that isn't fixed or protected by this bill um you've got other issues as well that it isn't going to help women with um so um, domestic abuse survivors actually if they either go for legal support they have to pay fees for that they aren't exempt from them so actually often you, you you can't access that support if you haven't got money um yeah it's there, it's there's just so many more things that need to be yeah. that need to be fixed within the system like a holistic view basically of all the, of all the legislative view. kind of bills that we have yeah. that that all are so intertwined like this is the thing when you just it's almost like layers of bills and policies that governments feel they need to do which is good in and of itself individually but when you think of the whole picture like it's just it's a minefield of just different un, un never ending and never kind of joined up approaches that have been taken yeah. I guess that's the difficulty with our even our parliamentary process not that that's even an excuse but every five years you know there needs to be some consistency around all the different kind of bills that go through and I feel like exactly. and actually something I didn't know that this that in uh, 12 the UK signed um was it called the Istanbul Convention or something which is and actually something just to kind of keep going from what you were saying was you know a lot of these things are focused on just women and um the treaty that treaty itself is um was designed to combat um domestic abuse and violence against women across europe um and beyond the fact that the uk hasn't ratified it yet and this was back from 2012 when we signed it i think the excuse they gave well the excuse we gave is that we we can't yet adhere to all the um, aspects you can say of the they. convention Let's they not tie ourselves up here say they <laughs> <laughs> um but that was what they said they were kind of saying that like that we're not going to we're actually not going to ratify it because we don't think we can actually meet it um which i think is just yeah. which happen. you know i do climate i work in climate change that happens a lot but this is something that's so <laughs> direct and so impacts everyone before you've even tried you've even tried and, and I, yeah. I i don't know the reason for that and this is purely just off the top of my head thinking right now, just the other things that I'll, I'll explain in a moment. But I do wonder if it's because the government knows that it actually do, isn't going to sign up to mm. the, the, the development of policy in that gender neutral way. Mm. So the UN has really criticised the gender neutral design of policy in the UK mm. and saying that actually is massively inhibiting 
um, women's rights. Um, I, I think it's really important. So the, the Istanbul Convention, yeah, it, it wants to define domestic abuse as being um, experienced mainly by women, but it does acknowledge the experience of men mm. as well as being victims. And I, I think there is another, they've got a, a, another, it's not within the same convention, I don't think, I'm not sure, but they do also acknowledge the experience of LGBTQ plus mm. community as mm. well. Um, and, and actually, this, so this is a really important issue, I think, within domestic abuse campaigns in that, yeah, the, the stats do show that women experience domestic abuse at a, a much higher rate right. than men yeah. do. But it doesn't mean that men aren't experiencing it. And actually, you've got female victims within same-sex relationships experiencing it at the same rate as female victims in heterosexual mm, relationships. Yeah. And I think men within same-sex relationships experiencing it at actually a higher rate than heterosexual men in heterosexual right. relationships. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're really important things to acknowledge. And so I don't know if you kind of seen part of the conversation with the domestic abuse bill is that that has been designed in a new gender neutral capacity. And there's been quite mixed reactions to it. So quite a few women's organisations saying that it is an issue because you need to design the, the exact thing that you're trying to protect women with needs to be designed with the kind of reality of the situation in mind. Um, so if it if it isn't designed with that, then how are you going to put the processes in place to help prevent it? Um, and then, but then you've got the people who are arguing for it to be gender neutral, saying, mm. but then how do you protect the people who it isn't kind of specifically designed for? And I, I think, including men, actually, I think the, the biggest argument against the gendered approach was because of the impact on men, so not the LGBTQ plus community mm. that I could see. I might be wrong. Um, that's what the um, select committee report said. So they did look into this right. um, and they recommended that it had a gendered approach mm. um, because essentially a gendered approach, they, the argument is that the, the criticism of the gendered approach is flawed. So actually a gendered approach isn't to just look at women, it's to look at all genders mm. um, and all um, people who identify yeah, in any, any way. Yeah. Um, so I think my argument it is it's an issue with the words gendered. My argument would be that actually exactly as you have the issue with the universal credit system being designed in a, a gender neutral way, you actually then open yourself up to the system being abused mm. and it missing yeah. it missing people who are vulnerable. So actually, if you have it designed in a way, fine, call it gendered. I don't know if there's a better way of describing it, but actually in a way that that acknowledges the nuances of how people experience mm. it. So men, heterosexual men experience domestic violence and actually the their ability to go to people for help even or, or willingness and the stigma around that is very different to how women experience it and the same in men in same-sex relationships and women and then their ability to almost identify what's happening to them is very different so I, it's, it's a m much bigger conversation and I, I don't know how much the domestic abuse bill is able to answer it but there, there are flaws with both mm. I just I think gender neutral is it, it's quite 
a troublesome way of approaching policy and and the the UN has got uh, massive issues with the UK's approach to that and I think as well something that was that was interesting for me as well I mean of interest to all I think is that even when we're thinking at this kind of this national or even international and then kind of ratifying it nationally all these kind of legislative processes and bills is the implementation at local level and the fact that Mm -hmm. for LGBT plus Q people for example they don't necessarily have access there's so many barriers to access for them just for help for all different things whether it's medical whether it's um, social or financial they in and of themselves find these barriers in terms of you know like um, not having job centers near them or not being able to have the medical kind of support they need near them they have to go to like a city that's like you know 100 miles away before they can find help and actually you know supporting local authorities a little bit more to help implement this at like a very very local level for all people is really important Mm -hmm. so rather than it just you know not just being like a national thing and it and it just being like um an urban thing for example there needs to be a much more kind of truncated truncated integrated view of, of rolling the bill out and I really worry that you know we all work in policy we see this not that not happening a lot of the time and that would be such a shame I think for a lot of the stuff that's kind of been brought out in the bill itself to not have it kind of pushed out locally well is just going to be such a disappointment I think and actually that that links quite well into a kind of another issue with um, government support in terms of funding of services as well Mm. at a local level I mean it's it's just declined so much in it's been 10 years now hasn't it since austerity it's really really hit services and I think particularly for the LGBTQ plus community so there isn't a LGBTQ plus specific refuge available to them in England. Yeah. They've only just um, had a domestic actually, help. They've only just had a domestic abuse yeah, helpline. Yeah. I think it's Gallup. Gallup? Gallup. I think it's how you yes, say it. Yeah, yeah. But I think that yeah. is because of what's happened with it increasing during lockdown. Mm. That's why that's had to come about. But yeah, and they've done a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it's true. And then, you know, you've got issues of um, transgender people trying to access refuges women's refuges yeah. being asked if they are pre or post transition like operations yeah. and and actually not being able to access it um, just a, a lack of understanding and and therefore I think you've got such low levels of reporting yeah. in the LGBTQ plus community because of that you, you need an environment of trust and need to know that people are going to understand you and that the support is there without stigma and it, it just doesn't exist yeah. so it, it's again a bigger issue than than this bill is tackling yeah. that's one of the things they say isn't it that it's about 25 percent of the lgbtq plus community experience domestic abuse but it's probably higher because it's underreported <laughs> and one of the things that's used a lot is people that aren't necessarily public about their sexuality to kind of family and friends and that's kind of uh, an easier way to then control somebody because yeah. it's like if you go and tell someone you'll have to tell them that i'm in whatever relationship that people don't know about yeah so i mean they they estimate that 60 to 80 percent of lgbtq plus people don't report it which is just unfathomable really and i think you've also Um, got that um situation in a same sex um relationship or kind of same gendered relationship where because it's not necessarily the traditional of them going like the male female power dynamic it's not always recognized as much yeah um and i know for a situation where one of my best friends she was in a relationship um and her partner i think was quite aggressive towards her um two women 
and I didn't say anything, but if it had been one of my male friends to his girlfriend, I'd have stepped in. And I haven't forgiven myself for that. And I've it's a lesson that I've learned. Um, and I'm not saying yeah. they ever kind of had a fight in preference. There was just it was just the way they spoke to mm. her and the behaviour. And I just felt like my friend was quite intimidated by her. And I do it was a it was a thing that I've learned now that actually I should have said something because if it had been in a heterosexual relationship, I would have. Yeah. yeah. Definitely, and one thing I, I just want to touch on. Oh, bless you! <laughs> I do. I've always, I always apologise. She's like, no, it's fine. It wasn't yes, abusive. It wasn't abusive. I was like, it was borderline though, and I should have said something. But it's a lesson. But it learned. is learning the new dynamics, learning, right? Yeah. And it is. It, we we are taught this kind of one interpretation of the world, which is very much heterosexual. So even in moments like that, yeah, it's. But you spotted it afterwards. Yeah. So it's not. It's, I mean. She's got a wonderful girlfriend now, and that wouldn't happen. But if she did, I'd be like, "Look!" And I would obviously. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's relearning, isn't yeah. it? It's relearning. Yeah. I mean, sure. although yeah. you can't always necessarily go and get yourself involved, you have to look at it from different angles because that can cause yeah. more of a problem. Check but what I'm saying is, I would think of something to do now. I would act. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. So the last thing that I just want to touch on on the bill really was the migrant exclusion and the fact yeah. that even you know, I mean, this just like blew my mind. But when the um, <laughs> The bill was going through the commons it was voted against the, the amendments were actually voted against around including migrant victims in the bill 330 to 207 um and obviously it's going through the lords now and technically some more amendments can be made but i think in a time when there's so much profound like racial and in and economic inequalities um especially with things like the co- with covid and with the black lives matter movement the fact that, you know, we've got kind of an opportunity in the Lords to re-include re- migrant workers. There's so much kind of good narrative going around on for charities who are, who are really kind of, and petitions that are being signed, celebs are coming out talking about it. But actually the, the abuse that migrant women or migrant people kind of experience is, is, is similar, but it's also quite different because they have to think about papers, they have to think about... Mm. Um, proving their kind of right to work and right to live they're excluded from a hell of a lot of kind of access mm-hmm. to services like we've already mentioned then can be language barriers as well can be language barriers so there's you know they often ended up being more dependent on their abusers than they would be than than others um and there's you know i think there's like a huge stigma around the fact that in cult in certain cultures as well um divorce isn't acceptable you as a woman can't leave your husband you'll be kind of cast out of the family if you do um there's uh situations where if you were to go home it's unsafe just from a kind of a war kind of perspective or um, a civil war if there's something going on like that but also the fact that um something that from what i was reading and researching you know the fact that if you have children in a relationship you're way more likely to come back and stay because you want to protect them yeah. and they're your life and everything so what we mentioned at the very beginning about the bill itself recognizing um that children experience domestic abuse they don't just witness it that's good i think that kind of acknowledgement is good but the fact i mean i don't know how you feel but the fact that as it currently stands, migrant women are excluded from the protections from the bill is is completely backwards to me. And I think that the the fears that they have on top of the fears that abuse is kind of gives is just harrowing, frankly. I don't know how you guys feel, but I don't know. I feel like that's something yeah. like I've seen I've seen so many petitions that have brought it forward and raised it to light. And again, lots of celebs talking about it that, that I think that's the one thing for me that I'm just like, I can't wrap my head yeah. around. 
I mean, that will also, I mean, I don't know if it's a fact, so I'm not going to pretend to, but mm-hmm. thinking about it, I would imagine that would also have a disproportionate impact on the LGBTQ plus community again. Um, yeah, because when you mentioned about it not necessarily being safe from your uh, country of origin, sometimes you might be fearing because of persecution for your identity or sexuality. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah and so, I mean, imagine if you have no recourse to public funds you're fleeing an abusive partner you end up going back to your home country essentially and actually you're persecuted there for for who you choose to be and who you choose to love it's it's you've got three elements there of lack of safety that uk government isn't protecting you from it it's nonsensical um there's an element of protection for people who are on spousal visas yeah so they can access three months worth of help but even three months uh, if yeah. you're you're fleeing domestic abuse you often leave with nothing you've got to set a whole life up that that in itself makes no sense um the the government has kind of yeah they they've acknowledged that it's an issue and they they've put out is it like 1.5 million pounds yeah. of support for migrants but i it's like a pilot scheme for charity supporting victims who have no recourse to public funds but it again that that isn't very much money at all and actually a lot of the issues like we said previously is actually the funding of the support services in the local community mm. um refugee well yeah refugees migrants ha- actually massively struggle to get places in refuges um, yeah. and especially if you're leaving without money which actually does increase with migrants so you're you're struggling to find somewhere to live and then I actually didn't mention before, but another issue with the universal tax credit system, which obviously if they do then get access to, to claiming benefits, you often have got a five week wait mm, um, yeah. before your first payment. So there are a number of issues with this um, for migrants and, and actually all, all people trying to claim and that you then quite often um, have to take it alone. To, to cover mm. that five weeks which you're then paying back so but then if you that's more difficult but you're if you're in a situation a bit like what your mother went through where or like my mom where you've then got debt in your name it can be hard yeah, to so even get, to get that on the back foot yeah. Yeah. yeah you're in debt from day one um but what they actually found for migrants is that that five week wait can double so you're then trying mm-hmm. to get through for 10 weeks without any money and any support so again it's not just this simple issue of kind of getting migrants included in the domestic abuse bill all of these other support services need to be ramped up and there and ready for them alongside it in order for it to be effective in supporting them Mm. so it's it needs a holistic approach and i imagine actually coronavirus has made that situation worse because we've had Mm. waits longer more people accessing things like universal credit um and then you've also got more job insecurity um And I know that generally we've seen domestic abuse during, especially like kind of the, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the I say proper lockdown. lockdown. Yeah. Lockdown. yeah. I mean, we're kind yeah. of still in lockdown, but you know what I mean? Like the height of lockdown, you saw massive increases, didn't we? Um, in domestic abuse. But I wasn't sure. I mean, would, would we have seen if there was an increase in, in kind of the economic and financial, does it get broken down? Um, I, I imagine. Yeah. So there yeah. There, there has been some research into it by um, Surviving Economic Abuse UK. Um, and yeah, it, it has it has increased, um, I think they found. At least they've definitely done a few pieces on 
on how it could increase and that obviously you're you're kind of in the household easier access to money people losing their jobs yeah. is a massive thing yeah then you yeah. become more dependent um so yeah they're, they're, they've they've done a lot of kind of a couple of reports into that I think um yeah yeah because <laughs> sorry I realized I meant to kind of look into that earlier and then I forgot to do <laughs> no no um, I was... but like it is I mean but domestic abuse like I don't know if you kind of read at the start of of the pandemic hitting the UN said that a violence against women was going to be a shadow pandemic that we would see kind of occurring oh, wow. alongside which I thought was quite powerful yeah. language because yeah. I yeah. saw that um so for example in June domestic violence helplines um they'd kind of received 80 percent increase mm-hmm. on calls which is so it's like more than um, 40,000 calls have been made to the national domestic abuse helpline since the start of the coronavirus lockdown which is I mean that's crazy numbers um and there was a another thing they said that the first week in July saw a 54 percent rise in women needing emergency accommodation um compared with the last week in June um so I mean it's yeah it's crazy numbers and mm, there's I've seen it's it really worrying. yeah and I've seen it spoken about more in in kind of the business and the the work environment because people were forced into um lockdown people were on furlough so the people children weren't going to school um and so that's where I actually saw employers talking about it more which I hadn't really heard about before and I thought that was quite interesting that I suppose coronavirus had also had that effect where employers saw saw responsibility um yeah yeah I think um there are kind of a a number of things that kind of go along with that actually just thinking about so the the economic abuse part so I've got my brain in gear again now um because <laughs> um, actually it's quite obvious how how it can impact people so it, essentially yeah you have the whole you know losing your job etc but actually working from home mm-hmm. that is quite an easy way of someone to exert control over someone there especially if you've got children so refusing to take a share in the household tasks or childcare etc mm. actually having an impact on someone's someone's work life so yeah I mean, you've seen like there's the increase like the stats you've seen of the increase in people reporting or going on to clicks onto mm. websites actually could be because people are at home experiencing it more but actually they haven't got their friends or family yeah. near them who would they would usually go to and actually again the pickup in the media coverage of it will you know lead to people looking for this advice a little bit more um the really sad thing is actually the stats for domestic violence have been dropping oh wow in the past like three or so years i think and actually the picture was starting to look a little bit better but again you just you don't know actually was that the real picture or actually is it just because people have now realized it's actually forced a lot of people who had tried to muddle through and crack on and this is really forcing to go I can't live like this anymore. I can see now there are places I can go and tools I can use. So now is the time to do it. It's kind of forced them, like back them into a corner, essentially. So I think we'll, it's too early to see the kind of true stats of the impact of the pandemic, but those, the indications at the start aren't promising. Yeah, we've also seen um, more women more likely to have been furloughed earlier and also have lost their jobs. Yeah. And that's, and or, or working yeah. in the sectors that are going to be most economically hit, you know, in previous um, recessions and kind of uh, times of difficult economic 
uh, output it's things like construction which is normally traditionally seen as like a male yeah. career where now mm. for this one it's more like hospitality leisure um care it's more female based so yeah I think, well, I, I think as you that's... say it's a bit early to see but as we as this grows I can imagine that you're also you might have lost your jobs and then you're completely reliant on your abuser even more and no. then that's you know there's a really important point, I think, from a policy perspective as well. So you've seen obviously the government coming and trying to you know, save jobs and boost the economy back. And actually a lot of the jobs they're trying to save are in male dominated mm. sectors. Yeah. So construction, manufacturing, etc. Mm. And actually you had this after. So you can say, yeah, this time it's been um, different people losing their jobs. So the financial crash in 2008. Um, maybe more men lost their jobs then. I'm not really sure. I think it was possibly still the hospitality sector, etc. But actually, um, you then had the double whammy after that of, again, the government not supporting women because yeah. all of austerity yeah. hits women like completely unevenly compared to men. You've got cuts to like hospitals, education, childcare, all of that um so you've now you know just about starting to come out of the end of that 10 or so years later and not really because the impact was still being felt by the people at the bottom of society mm. like the most poor people were still suffering and it, it wasn't looking like it's going to get much better anytime soon and actually especially women so now they've been hit doubly again and again aren't getting that that help from mm. government that they need so it's just what been a decade of continuous hits it's I, I just can't understand it um but it's what i mean there are just amazing organizations out there doing so much work that someone needs to listen mm. <laughs> at some point yeah yeah as i was like, it always reminds me of um was it was it victoria derbyshire i'm about to give her credit for something but if it was her where <laughs> she was um presenting a new show and she'd kind of written a helpline on her hand, on her hand. Um, a number yeah. to call during the pandemic so that people could like hopefully see it and I guess take it down or something like that which I thought was quite yeah impactful. and there, there was a campaign during lockdown um, and I can't remember who ran it where they I saw a few adverts on on my Instagram I don't know <laughs> how the uh, algorithm got that maybe they just see what I look at in my spare time but there was like a hand signal that women could make whilst on a, a zoom call or whatever oh, wow. to tell their family mm. friends or or anyone that they were suffering from domestic abuse mm. and to try and get help so, and that was really powerful. Yeah, I saw also that um, Theresa May, she'd urged the police in the UK to follow what they've done in New York, where basically if they have had um, kind of known perpetrators or a, 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 a home where it's known that there is violence, that they've been doing spot checks where they just randomly turn up. Yeah, um, yeah, you, you probably could need a good capacity of police force, don't you, for that? Yeah, um, which again, austerity. But let's not <laughs> like, like we, circle around it. <laughs> but I thought that was quite interesting that that's what they were doing there, and she'd kind of spoken about how that could be helpful here and things that I just never even thought about. That really yeah, before. no, definitely. Uh, and it, I guess I don't know if they they put that into place. But I don't that think they did. A, a bit of um, so I know my my old housemate was a mental health nurse, eventually with. Mm to you know their their most at-risk victims um victims sorry and um, patients were who they would basically go and do their home visits to so i suppose mm. it would be a similar if you've got like a, sense, a pool yeah. of criminals you're having to to keep an eye on who are the people who actually the pandemic would almost enable them mm. to to do that because there's been stats where there's been a drop a drop in crime essentially hasn't there i suppose because yeah. everyone's been in their houses but actually this is a form of crime that was going to increase so actually 
logically you would think those are the people you're gonna probably put some resource into yeah. and, and that's just yeah, that would be quite interesting to see on that because it just made me think again that's what i find really weird so this is looping back ever slightly so i'll make it really quick but you know when we're talking about like migrants <laughs> being like excluded from the bill that's why i find mm. it really weird because they're not excluded from other um criminal justice so if you i don't know get beaten up and it's a section 18 like gross bodily harm you can still bring that yeah, again yeah. go through the police so why isn't this it's still a criminal offense it's still like I, violence sorry anyway i just find it really weird but anyway no no it's no it's a good point <laughs> to raise yeah, the yeah. inconsistencies that we have and i think that's actually like i think that's what we've agreed upon isn't it throughout this whole the, throughout the podcast which i think has been really good because i've learned a lot like mm. i've just through the process of prepping and listening to you amy and hearing your like experience oh, and your insights i've i've learned so much but i think we've agreed that in and of itself like things like the like the domestic abuse bill is good it's just when you think about it in a wider environment clearly there's such a huge role and much much more consideration needed for how it works intertwined with things like the universal tax credit system local service mm-hmm. availability for social care or, or for, for medical care or whatever whatever it is um and clearly there's a role for kind of businesses and employers to also do their bit and make sure that they're supporting their employees um, whether it is things like the if you're in um on a Zoom call and you've got kind of you're aware making people aware of the hand sign that you can do or whatever it is, yeah. uh, making sure you've got the policies and stuff. That stuff's so critical. And I think that you know if there's lots of charities like we've already mentioned, there's the Surviving Economic Abusers, but there's also um the Southall Black Sisters. They've been doing loads of work around mm-hmm. the bill and loads of petitions that are out there. Um just to kind of for us to kind of immerse ourselves into and just become really aware even though it's a really difficult subject I think more than anything it's our kind of privilege to know about these things and actually do what we can with the voice that we have um and just from your point of view obviously you've done so much research for your dissertation we've all done loads of (laughs) loads of research to get those awfully (laughs) hugely long documents out um but any kind of key charities that you know of or books or podcasts besides this one or petitions <laughs> and stuff? Obviously this one. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> very you know cute. Of. But actually, I might just circle back quickly for a second to kind of the role of the businesses in it because I think mm. it's kind of, there's a, they've got two sets of responsibilities there. So one for their employees. So I know quite a few businesses are now getting domestic abuse. Um, what's the word I want? policies like policies and thank you it's in my job title policies, <laughs> domestic abuse policies into their like hr systems um but actually the really really important one is with the banks and financial institutions to actually mm. a give them the ability to spot financial abuse and maybe help people before they even go and ask for it but actually to deal with people who are suffering the consequences of financial abuse once they've left the partner mm. so you know I, my mum had awful credit like she's still got awful credit she's suffering from it what five years late when did we leave i can't remember now maybe five years ago no god more than that maybe 10 years ago who knows now <laughs> how old was how old am i now yeah <laughs> 10 years ago so 10 years later you know she she had in order to survive even though so we had to claim benefits mm. she had to ramp up credit card debt so actually when she met her new partner the only way she could get out of that was him paying it off which that must be quite triggering. Difficult, yeah. difficult for me. I don't know um, how mum felt about it. She's not really said, but you know, there was no other way. He's a lovely man, so he obviously took that on. But 
like just so many things we we couldn't afford a mortgage etc so actually banks to to help write that debt off that's been wrapped up in your name and and help you almost you know advise you on how to sort your finances out so there there's women who i you know i've read stories of women who have been left in debt that's going to take them 20 years Mm. to write off so a woman had her partner ramped up 30 grand in her name so yeah there's like a two-pronged approach for business for your employees and then also actually to help spot and help solve the issue and even as you were saying um in your situation where the post um, the person who delivered the post was like involved actually could he have you know yeah, more training and those sort of, but like you yeah. know it, it was he didn't might not have known what to do and you were saying that he would like keep some of the posts and then you know try and help yeah, in that way I mean, but maybe if there if there was more awareness in business in in just in kind of uh, consumer facing roles to help people know kind of what to do or who to speak to I know that uber for example they give training to some of their drivers to spot some of these things so if somebody's yeah. looked kind of coerced into being somewhere mm. um so i think a, i mean some of interception of post is illegal anyway so yeah. you know he probably yeah. should have been reporting it but my my stepdad was a big scary man yeah. so uh you know when you're in that position and and also you know it's things are different now i think attitudes to relationships and, and male and female roles but even back then i mean it's it's incredible the changes that happened even just in the few years that the first few years we would have been alive and born mm. like I mentioned marital rape being illegal in 94 I was born in 93 and and women being you know um individually uh recognized in the tax system as like late 80s or whatever so it's mm. just absolutely mental so I, I just all these attitudes who knows what would have been the case today but yeah you, the frontline workers to to spot it for sure I think you always have a focus on, you know, teachers, nurses, doctors, but actually there are so many more people that you come into contact in your life that maybe could have stepped in. And if he had, who knows? I mean, yeah, could have saved, saved a lot of uh, anguish, but it's, it's been an interesting ride. Um, But on that, onto resources. (laughs) Um, So actually there's, there's quite a few, you mentioned um, a couple of organizations uh, that are, a few more so obviously refuge is really important mm. women's aid spotlight all kind of focusing on domestic violence um, and actually gingerbread do quite a bit of good work on this as well so they focus on single parents mm. um, so particularly you know with with the benefit system etc they, they've got a lot of work that they they get involved in um in terms of kind of articles, actually, and reports, so I'd say, actually, I kind of wanted to flag the first report that I read in 2015 that really got me into this, um, which was Trapped, Unequal and Controlled, which was um, created by Women's Aid and the TUC. Um, it, it kind of just brought to life a lot of the personal stories um, of women, that which is really, really important um and i think yeah it'd be good can you put, can you kind of put links yeah yeah, we the podcast? Do that, course, okay. yeah. yeah. yeah so there's a couple of things i'll probably link to so <laughs> surviving economic abuse i kind of keep shouting them out but they're the only charity that is specifically working on this and oh, so are, are they the only ones that's interesting really? yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah specifically on economic abuse yeah, yeah. um so yeah, yeah they yeah. they've done a report on how post enables domestic abuse which i found really personally quite interesting mm. Um, there's also been an interesting article by Marilyn Howard at the LSE, who actually also helped um, author the Trapped, Unequal and Controlled reports on um, 
how the proposed statutory definition of domestic abuse, um, including economic abuse, is incompatible with other proposals and policies that the government has in place, like universal credit. So exactly what we've just been talking about. Whoever's listening to this podcast can go and read an expert <laughs> on it. Um, it might be a bit better. Um, and then Refuge and the co-op have actually done a really good um, piece of research into the prevalence of economic abuse um, within relationships across the UK. Right. Um, so, yeah, those are the kind of intellectual bits. And then just two podcasts I probably flag, actually. Um, so you've got one which I really actually enjoy the title, which is called I'm Not in an Abusive Relationship. It's kind mm. of that. I quite like the denial. Yeah, and yeah. because that, really that's something that happens. It. That's something that happens a lot, isn't yeah. it? People don't realise they're in an abusive relationship yeah, for a while. He just loves me. And, yeah. You know, like, I know my fault. Yeah. Mm, I know yeah, for an absolute yeah. fact, my mom, probably to this day, probably still wouldn't call what she was in domestic abuse, even though it yeah. 100% was. She probably wouldn't yeah, call it that. Yeah, mine's funny talking about it. It was just a toxic relationship. Now, but, mm. Yeah, exactly. Toxic yeah. relationship. That's, yeah, educating the people on <laughs> What is what? Probably toxic relationships, really abusive relationships, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm Not in an Abusive Relationship is essentially a podcast where they share survivor stories and get experts on to give advice. But their whole philosophy is about kind of providing hope and inspiration to people, victims and survivors of abuse to kind of be like, people have gone through this. They have come out the other end. Yeah. It was horrendous, but it can get better, um, which I think is really important um, and then there's a second podcast called Spotlight, which is by um, Safe Lives, which are actually another organisation I should have flagged before. Um, so they give insight into different forms of abuse. Right. Um, and actually the most recent one, because we haven't spoken about this as much, I know I flagged it at the start, but their most recent podcast was about the abuse of elderly during COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. Um, so again, like actually having just that... <laughs> holistic view of exactly what abuse can entail so like the housemates was just a really peculiar one um so yeah those those are my recommendations (laughs) in 10 minutes probably sorry (laughs) (laughs) no that's amazing thank you So that was a really good interview. I think we've learned a lot. A big, big, big thank you for Amy for coming in. And thank you, Amy. <laughs> thank you. We we learned a lot. <laughs> I certainly did. Um, and thank you to Amy for sharing kind of her personal experience as well. That's often quite difficult to have to kind of bring up again. So um, big thank you to Amy. We're very happy to have had you. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, I wish you could have seen that, actually. Tanisha just did a love heart face. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But so thinking back, if there's one thing you're going to do this week, do us a favour and check out some of the resources that Amy mentioned. Um, Got some really leading charities and resources, Surviving Economic Abuse, um, UK. They're kind of like spearheading work in this area, produced a number of really useful uh, resources, which we'll kind of post below. Um, Other key charities are Refuge, Women's Aid, Save Lives, Gingerbread. Um, If you're looking specifically at LGBTQ+, Gallup and Stonewall, um, and male-specific helplines in this area are uh, Mankind and uh, Men's Advice Line. Um, And Amy also mentioned a few articles and podcasts. So the podcast was I'm Not in an Abusive Relationship, which shares survivor stories and provides expert advice. So definitely give that one a listen. And also Spotlight by Safe Lives. Um, Again, looks at different forms of abuse. So that's really interesting to check out. And then quickly, just to shout out a couple of articles. 
uh, Trapped, Unequal and Controlled, which is by Women's Aid and TUC. And that was the one that Amy said really kind of started this journey for her and kind of caught her attention. Mm. Um, How Post Enables Domestic Abuse uh, by Surviving Economic Abuse. And then the Domestic Abuse Bill is kind of uh, focusing on government policy on economic abuse and why it's inconsistent. And that is by Marilyn Howard and LSE. And then finally, Money Matters, the extent and nature of financial abuse in intimate relationships in the UK. And that was actually put together by the Cooperative Bank and Refuge. So check those out. Read them, listen to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, so just on that, uh, we've got a final word from Amy as uh, we kind of end the show. So we'll leave it to Amy with some final words and see you next time. Yeah. Thanks very much. Thanks. Bye. Bye. I just wanted to clarify two points that we we covered in our chat that I think could probably do with a bit of clarification that I I probably um, skipped over a little bit in our conversation is that firstly, actually just drawing out the importance of the split payments of universal credits in just the fact that the benefit system is supposed to act as a safety net for people when they most need it in their lives. And the very fact that it's doing the exact opposite and putting women and others at risk of financial abuse and actually trapping them in, in those abusive relationships. It's it's just defeating the whole purpose of, of what we've designed the, the welfare state to, to provide people with and citizens with people who are paying our taxes to have this safety net there for them at, at their most vulnerable. Um, and especially from my personal experience, the only way that we were able to to leave and stay away that final time was because I managed to convince my mum to claim benefits and there was no other way that we could have afforded to to live and that was actually before the universal credit system came into effect and I think that's really the biggest thing that motivated me to to look into it and research it actually because I just couldn't believe that the the very system that that saved us essentially was then actually would have acted against us when we needed it most and, and even when we were dealing with the benefit system at the time it was a bloody nightmare because every month month to month the amount of income that we would get through benefits would change for one reason or another so that was stressful in itself so I, I can't imagine having to deal with something like the universal credit system in the in the way it is now um so yeah i just really wanted to kind of draw on that that point and make that a bit more clear and the other one is actually on the point i made about um post separation abuse and and the lack of coverage for that so i just wanted to clarify because i know i got a little bit confused when i was talking so i'm trying to think of everything all at once but Essentially, the issue is that the um, domestic abuse bill doesn't cover it well enough and the government have acknowledged that um, and they've made a a number of suggestions that they can tackle the issue um, without making legislative change, which which isn't quite enough. And and the problem comes down to the point that I made about, um, so the... And the legislation in 2015 that was put in place before the Serious Crime Act is exactly the same, whereby actually it only covers people who are in close relationships. So it doesn't cover it once someone becomes an ex-partner. So and and there are there are moves afoot and campaigns afoot to try and get that fixed 
within the Serious Crime Act. Um, and again, government have acknowledged it within the bill, but it needs to be legislative, otherwise it just isn't going to protect women well enough. Um, so yeah, I thought those are two quite important clarifications to make. Thank you.